This is an AMI podcast. I'm Chuita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. One of the outcomes of the global pandemic has been greater conscientiousness about the importance of working together in a global community. People with disabilities around the world face common barriers. These include unemployment, lack of education and healthcare, as well as stigma and prejudice. The United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is one such means through which people with disabilities can hold signatory nations accountable, promote accessibility and inclusion while abolishing laws and policies that perpetuate discrimination against people with disabilities. But there is much that needs to be done to ensure that international rights reflect local realities. Today, we discuss a transnational disability rights movement. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello, and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joitha Gupta. It's really good to be with you today. My guest today is Laverne Jacobs, who is a legal scholar at the Faculty of Law at the University of Windsor. Her interests include human rights law, disability law, amongst other fields. Laverne Jacobs is the founding director of the Law, Disability and Social Change Project, a research and public advocacy initiative housed at Windsor Law. Professor Jacobs could become the first person to represent Canada on the United Nations Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Professor Jacobs joins us today not only to discuss her work, but also to talk about why that nomination is significant not only for her, but for all of us. Hello and welcome to the program. It's really great that we could talk finally. Hello, Joeda. Thank you for having me on the show. For those of us who aren't familiar with it, what exactly is the United Nations Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities? The Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is um, created under the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Um, It's responsible for helping state parties to implement the rights guaranteed under the Convention. It does this by conducting a few major tasks. It reviews country reports and provides observations. It produces general comments on the provisions of the Convention, which allow for a a greater understanding of the Convention's articles. Um, The Committee's work also involves receiving and adjudicating individual complaints against state parties. And where there's sufficient evidence to do so, it can investigate inquiries into allegations of systemic violations of rights under the Convention. So it's quite an active body and it does a lot of work in terms of uh, implementing and concretizing the rights of people with disabilities around the world. I know that around December 3rd, with the International Day for Persons with Disabilities, a number of us think about the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, not, but not so much year-round. Just give us a sense of the kinds of rights that are guaranteed under the Convention for the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Well, what's really interesting about the Convention on the Rights for Persons with Disabilities is that it is the first treaty that addresses Uh, disability rights in a very uh, concrete and explicit way. So 
when you look through the convention, there are several rights that are um, identified and laid out within the convention. And these rights include things such as the right to equality, but also rights that are much more specific, such as the right to education, um, where the convention talks about a right to inclusive education, the rights to live independently, where the convention talks about um, the importance of having personal support uh, for those who are living in the community, and of course, stresses the importance of living in the community as opposed to living in institutions. There are also several other rights. There's rights for the protection of the rights of women and, and girls, uh, for the protection of the rights of children. So there, there's quite a wide variety. And I should also mention that there are also very broad, uh, broad rights as well, such as the right to accessibility. So if you were to gain a seat on the committee for the rights of persons with disabilities, this is a UN committee, how long do you think your term would be? And what are some of the things you expect to work on? Do you get some scope as an individual member to define maybe pet projects or things that you're really passionate about that you might get to work on? Uh, thanks for the question. Well, the committee's term is uh, four years. So every person who is appointed to the committee uh, serve the term of four years, and they may go for election for a second four-year term. The work on the committee is work that's done on an individual level. So for those who are appointed to the committee, they uh, represent themselves. They don't represent the country that they are um, coming from. My understanding from the, the documents produced by the committee is that um, there isn't necessarily pet projects, but I, I don't know. Perhaps there there may be. But my understanding is that the committee meets um, twice a year in Geneva with some additional uh, meetings possible. And during that time, they review country reports and they, uh, you know, adjudicate the complaints that have come forward. Uh, they work on general comments, um, uh, which are the comments defining um, the article. So they tend to work together from what I can see on uh, particular, uh, particular matters that come before the uh, committee. Why is it significant for Canada to have a representative on the committee? What would you bring to the table? I think that is important for Canada to have a, a voice on this committee because Canada has had extensive experience uh, working to implement um, the rights of people with disabilities. It certainly had its challenges, um, but I think that it can bring a discussion, at least, of the various um, challenges and ways in which it's approached disability rights. So I think it's important for Canada to have a voice for that reason, to share its experiences. Um, and of course, I think Canada can also learn from other countries. I think that ultimately, probably, there will always be a sharing and learning process on the committee. Um, what I can bring to the table is um, my own experiences as a scholar um, mm -hmm. dedicated to disability equality um, and also as a, a person who has professional experience both as a human rights adjudicator and in policy implementation and uh, policy development. So I have spent several years as a scholar um, I'm committed to understanding the lived experiences of people with disabilities and to furthering the rights of people with disabilities. 
I've used my scholarship to further our understanding of equality on a range of disability issues. Um, I'm also very dedicated to, uh, to understanding and hearing the concerns from within the disability community. Um, and also, I'm a person who is interested in learning and teaching about the experiences of intersectionality. Uh, I'm a black disabled woman. Um, and I'm always uh, seeking to better understand the experiences of intersectional discrimination. I think that addressing intersectional discrimination is one of the challenges that the committee will face in coming years. Uh, you know, in many jurisdictions, those who have suffered socioeconomic harm as a result of COVID-19 um, have been people with disabilities, but also people who at the same time were from other marginalized communities so um, it could be those who were uh, racialized, indigenous, uh, homeless, uh, women, etc. And I think that as we uh, move into recovering from the pandemic, um, the CRPD, the committee will have a very uh, strong role. And I think that addressing intersectional discrimination um, as it existed and uh, as part of the COVID-19 pandemic will also be part of its, uh, its work. As you mentioned, with the COVID-19 pandemic, there are a number of ways in which people with disabilities have felt um, a little bit let down by the government. A lot of people with disabilities felt they didn't get adequate financial aid. There are people with disabilities who were quite concerned that, you know, if there was a crisis and uh, in our healthcare system and there were shortages that they might get taken off ventilators. If there were people who were to say to you, this sounds like a really good idea in theory, but right now, as we recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, maybe we should be looking a bit closer to home and thinking about how Canada can better support people with disabilities. Um, what would you say to the people like that? Do you think that your work on the committee could really help to inform the recovery efforts that we have uh, underway in Canada right now to ensure that we adopt a disability-centered framework? Mm -hmm. Thanks for the question. I think that the people who have, have expressed concerns about um, not having adequate support during, during the pandemic, including financial support, um, I think that they are correct to pursue that. Um, I think that we're talking about uh, two different things, though. I think that there's certainly room and scope for us to build back um, you know, a, in a more strong uh, way, our recovery here in Canada. So thinking about how to create uh, new benefits, uh, the federal government right now is talking about the Canada Disability Benefit, which was um, uh, tabled uh, on the 22nd, so not long ago. Um, mm -hmm. There are other initiatives that certainly I think could be taken at the provincial level um, to address, for example, ODSP in Ontario and other benefits. So yes, I definitely think there's work to be done um, and I definitely think that it can be done. Um, the convention, the CRPD, uh, is another avenue. I, I don't think that it should be seen as um, the only avenue, but it's another mm -hmm. avenue. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the two ways that Canada might uh, appear before the CRPD, the committee, is first by country report, so um, submitting its report in terms of um, how it's doing and implementing the rights, 
Um, in doing so, you know, it might be that the committee responds um, and suggests that it, you know, takes certain action. Um, another way is by um, having a complaint brought before the committee. But I would say that instead of um, waiting for all of that to happen, so for example, country reports are only due every four years, um, and it's a lot of work to put together a complaint. Yes, I think that domestically, uh, there's lots that can be done. Um, so I don't think that it's, I, you know, I think it's, it's uh, fine for both, um, for, for Canada to pursue both domestic uh, remedies and approaches, and also at the same time to have representation on the CRPD committee internationally. Um, but I think that it needs to work on, on both levels. I'm Joetha Gupta, and my guest today is Professor Laverne Jacobs from the Faculty of Law at the University of Windsor. We're talking about Professor Jacobs' nomination to the United Nations Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. It sounds like this is a really exciting opportunity for you, and I think we'd all love to be able to do something to support you. Uh, What are some of the ways in which we can uh, support your nomination right now? Well, I think that um, it's all very new at the moment. Uh, since mm. This is the first time that uh, Canada has put forward uh, a candidate. It's um, all kind of crystallizing and, and taking shape um, as we speak. At the moment, I think maybe the, uh, the most important thing to do is just to provide moral support, um, you, know, to, uh, you know, to express your moral support, um, especially disability organizations, etc., um, and that's something that I would appreciate. Um, outside of that, I don't have any uh, concrete ways at the moment for uh, for supporting a candidate. But certainly, as I learn more, I can you know I can share that. But thank you so much for that question. I appreciate that. Do you know what happens next with the nomination process? Um, when do they actually make a decision about your nomination? So the election takes place in June of 2022. Between now and then, there are uh, various levels, I suppose, or various modes of campaigning at the international level. The next steps, I suppose, are for the government, um, uh, global affairs, etc., to work on um, preparing me as a candidate and uh, uh, kind of, I guess, um, entering me into the cycle of, um, of the campaign. Well, it sounds like it's a really exciting opportunity. Uh, as we have a few minutes left, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of your prior work because you have a, quite an impressive resume. And one of the things you've been working on is as the founding director for uh, Law, Disability and the Social Change Project, which I mentioned is housed at Windsor Law. What can you tell us about it? The Law, Disability, and Social Change Project um, is a research center and a public advocacy center. Uh, We work on trying to create um, uh, research that can inform policy making and can inform legal decision making. Um, Our work is um, wide in the sense that we look at a variety of topics. And it's also wide in the sense that um, we don't do strictly legal analysis. So uh, to give you an example, during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we started to collect all of the news stories relating to COVID-19 and people with disabilities. Um, We started off doing that because it was one of the most effective ways to learn about what was going on at the time. 
um, you know, legal cases um, had not been filed. Um, and if they had been filed, they certain ha- certainly hadn't been decided. Um, over the, the course of a year, we uh, collected uh, quite a large database, and we've turned that into a public resource now, a searchable database um, on the cases for, you know, the first year at least of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, so, yes, I work with students. There are a number of students um, affiliated with the project uh, who work as research assistants. And in addition to research, we also sometimes do uh, things such as um, presenting before the UN Special Rapporteur on um, the Rights of Persons with Disabilities uh, when she came to Canada in 2019. What do you think are the biggest barriers confronting people with disabilities right now? And has your analysis of the barriers confronting people with disabilities changed at all over the course of the pandemic? Or do you think the pandemic has really brought into relief some of the systemic issues that have always been a problem for the disability community? Hmm. I think that there's a mixture of both. I think that the pandemic certainly has uh, brought to bear a number of issues that were already uh, existing and posing problems, posing uh, problems for people with disabilities. At the same time, I think that things like the uh, triage protocol and um, people with disabilities being placed at the the bottom of the list of priority um, for for care, um, you know, in in difficult times, um, those are things that we need to address or access to healthcare and the challenges that we've seen there. Um, So I think that I think that there are a number of issues that people with disabilities face, and uh, off the top of my head, I would say some of the major ones at this moment are um, social assistance, so the access to benefits and being able to have an adequate standard of living. Um, there's also access to uh, to healthcare, um, so being able to uh, not only have adequate health care, but to have the various supports that you need while pursuing uh, health care. Um, and there are a number of others as well. I noticed that in 2018, you did some uh, research into transportation inequalities for people with disabilities, which I was really excited by because I wasn't even aware um, until I was researching some of your prior work that there had been a lot of Canadian research into transportation inequalities and gaps faced by people with disabilities. Tell us a little bit about your research. What were some of your key findings? Yes, in 2018, I published a study uh, where I reviewed Um, human rights claims relating to transportation. Um, I looked at the time span of 40 years, so 40 years of human rights uh, claims in Canada. And what I discovered, I discovered a few things, is that people with disabilities have significant uh, challenges accessing transportation. Um, Oftentimes, when they need to access transportation, they are forced to um, book through paratransit services. Um, They have sometimes uh, encounters um, on the actual uh, buses or taxis, et cetera, that are are demeaning or affect their dignity. Um, What I found overall was that um, people with disabilities are looking for a form of equality that didn't quite fully exist. 
So they were not looking for reasonable accommodation, but more of a first order level of equality. They were looking for uh, transportation that uh, incorporated um, disability and um, the challenges faced by people with disability from the get-go. But it's not really possible to do that um, if you are approaching uh, the system through a kind of a reactive um, complaint-driven process. Mm-hmm. Um, what I yeah, what I suggested um, was that we have um, a different way of understanding equality. Um, I termed this approach the universality of the human condition. And I proposed that um, this concept could be used, it could be applied within the adjudication by human rights tribunals um, when dealing with uh, disability equality issues. So what it would create is a rebuttable presumption that uh, the experience, experiences faced by people with disabilities have caused their adverse impact. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a presumption that the transportation providers uh, could rebut. Well, we've only got about two minutes left on the program. Before we let you go, I want to give you a chance to sort of say, based on all of your experience, if in, in about 30 seconds, what is your advice for people with disabilities who often encounter uh, the disability rights framework? What's the key thing you want people to remember from our conversation? I think the key thing to remember is that um, it's worth pushing to make sure that the framework reflects the issues that people with disabilities are facing on the ground. Professor Jacobs, thank you very much for being on the program. We really enjoyed having you with us and good luck on your nomination. I hope you'll keep us posted. Thanks so much, Joeda. That was Laverne Jacobs from the Faculty of Law at the University of Windsor. And she was, of course, in Windsor, Ontario. If you missed any of my conversation, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also go to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'd like to thank Laverne Jacobs for being my guest on the program. The technical producer for the pulse is Nisreen Abdul Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio, and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening and stay safe. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.